Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. So I'm here for another Resolve podcast, and I have a wonderful guest with me today, uh, the talented Stacey Ann Buchanan. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. Um, hi, audience. I hope everyone is doing well. I'm Stacey Ann Buchanan. I'm a TEDx speaker, a mental health advocate and coach, actress, um, I director of marketing and content. I do a little bit of everything, but I love everything that I do. So <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that that's amazing. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your TED Talk and how that sort of relates to your own mental health journey? Yeah, so my my TED Talk, um, I, I I talk a bit about my journey with um with mental illness basically how it came about and so i'll share the story here so years ago i decided i live in toronto i'm from toronto originally born and raised in jamaica I moved to toronto when i was 14 15 um pursued acting ever since then and so it's been a passion of mine so in my 20s late 20s i said you know what i'm gonna move to vancouver to really pursue acting i feel like toronto was a big pond and I feel like Vancouver, the pond is a little bit smaller and it'll be easier to get work, especially as a woman of African descent. So I moved to Vancouver and I gave myself six months to make it big. Uh, most people don't do that, but I gave myself six months. I was like, you know what? I need to be famous. I need to have a job. I need to do this. I need to slay this acting career within six months. Now, here's the thing. And I and I share this story sometimes, and it's it's probably a joke. Um, it is a little bit of a joke. I share the same birthday with Halle Berry. So not the same date per se, the same year, but the same August 14th. So I used to be like, okay, so if we have the same birthday, so we deserve the same success. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to pursue this acting thing and I'm going to go to a Vancouver. The goal was to then move to LA to um, pursue this. While I was there within the six months frame, I was getting a bit of commercials. I was doing auditions here and there. I was landing little stuff, but it wasn't enough that I felt that this was big. So I wanted to take the audience back a bit. And I wanted to say that I was 29 at the time and 30 was coming up. And so 30 to me was this huge number that I felt like if I didn't have the house and the career and the and the husband and the cars and everything like that, then I should have the the I should have that career. If I don't have the husband and the kids and the and the car and all of that stuff, then I should definitely have this career. And I put so much pressure on myself because being an immigrant child as well, you think that you know you you have this opportunity to be in Canada, you have to grant it and take everything with you and 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 surpass everything because you want to make your family proud. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. So within the six months, I noticed little changes in my body. And one of the biggest things I noticed was that I was doing things very fast. I was eating fast. I, I couldn't really slow down. I was talking fast. I was showering. I was brushing my teeth fast. I was doing everything fast. 
And my roommate noticed it and I, we had a conversation about it. And she said, I think you're showing the signs of anxiety. Now I've never heard of anxiety. This was 2011. I've never heard of anxiety in a sense where it was something that was in the black community or something that affected black people. I've heard of anxiety and I've heard it from my friends. Now I grew up in theater school and film school. I'm theater trained and film trained. And so I was one of few black people always in my classes. So I'll hear my white friends talk about anxiety, talk about breaking down, talking about things too much. I'll hear that talk. But I used to think that's something I can never bring home to my Jamaican Rastafarian father. We don't talk like that. Is you, you just you just deal with it and everything will be okay. So when she suggested that, I went in my room and I thought to myself, anxiety? White girls get that. Never heard of anxiety affecting a black girl or anybody black. Um, but my symptoms kept on getting worse. So everything was fast. And I felt like my my heart was in this cage where it's in this cage and it's and it's beating a million miles per second. And with every single beat, it is growing bigger and bigger, but the cage is getting smaller and smaller. I felt trapped. I felt like I was in this, this, this cycle where it's like, I can help myself, but I don't know how to help myself, but I know I can help myself, but why am I gonna help myself? It was just like, it was so much going on. And so I decided that I needed to check myself out into the hospital. I went to the hospital and they ran a whole bunch of tests on me and everything came back negative and but the doctor did say you are you are um, struggling right now, suffering. I think he used the word suffering. You you have massive anxiety, and he recommended Valium to me. And I remember doing a scene in acting school, and and Valium was in that scene was was known as a crazy people drug. So I was saying to myself, are they telling me that I'm crazy? So I'm gonna somehow get rid of this anxiety, and I and I talked myself out of it. So. I, I could say my anxiety went away for about a week until it came back so rapidly. I had to go back to the hospital. I How I got myself out of it, I kept on saying mind over matter, mind over matter, mind over matter, right? Thinking that this will calm me down, really. And and for me, I felt like it worked for a week. And then it came back so massively. It, I felt like I would go through periods where my heart would, would just stop. It felt like it was stuck within my rib cage and it wouldn't move. So I will do these things where I'll beat on my chest a few times just so I can breathe. I felt like I, I, my throat was blocked. I, it was, it was horrible. It's such a horrible experience because I was experiencing panic attacks in that form. And I didn't know because as we, as we grow with mental health, we know that panic attacks are not usually just you can't breathe and all of that. You could just sit still and be totally zoned out and, and you can have an anxiety attack rather like mm-hmm. that, not a panic attack. Anyway, so I went back to the hospital. They hooked me on these, um, they hooked me on a thread mail and um, had me bring them a heart, heart monitor, just trying to wonder why my heart was raising, racing so much. And um, I pretty much had to come home. Even though I went to Vancouver and I made lifelong friends in Vancouver, I had to come back home to Toronto because I I needed help from family. Now the thought of coming home without uh, any of my goals met um, spiraled it into depression for me. So I went through different bouts of depression, but I will stop Simon because I feel like I am talking a lot. So you can I, let me you know. You I can just wanted to say that like, I really relate to some of the aspects of that story because my uh, parents, they grew up 
in the Soviet Union and we moved to Canada when I was like two or three before I could even remember. And my parents also, they didn't, they don't really believe in mental health. And I went over to Ireland to do a PhD and I was worried about disappointing them because at a certain point it turned out that like, you know, my anxiety and my panic attacks weren't something that everyone else was having and it was getting worse. And I had to, you know, leave the PhD, finish off early with a master's. And of course it felt like, you know, failure at the moment and then just coming home and having to face everyone. And even today, sometimes I still struggle trying to explain to my parents what I mean by anxiety and depression and it's really frustrating yeah. because you know I see the same things and the same patterns going on with my parents but it, it it's just so hard to cross along the generations especially when you're far from home it's it, it, it's such a tough situation yeah absolutely um i i totally feel you on that it took a while for my parents to even understand um the true essence of mental health because growing up in jamaica mental health is is a person that is is homeless is haggard has schizophrenia talks to themselves and they're usually shunned by the community and family members it's nobody wants to have a mad person in their family quote unquote um you know you'll see them on the street and kids will throw sticks and rocks at them it's never you look that's what mental Ill, illness look like now when you're when you're saying you're feeling a certain way i know the jamaican remedy for if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling sad or you're feeling like you're you're in the sunken hole it's it's to it's to drink some tea and and, and pray and read your bible and now i was raised christian and by no means am i denouncing my my religion or my spirituality or what i believe in but i strongly believe that if if you fall and you cut yourself and you're like okay let's go to the doctor to get this fixed, then there should be a doctor for your mind. It should be the, the equally say, you know what? You're not right. You're not feeling your best. So let's go to a psychologist. Let's go and take care of this. And because the stigma of mental health in, in the Black community, especially is, 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 is barred with a veil of shame. And there's, there's, there's so much shame about it. No one wants to admit that they are struggling because that is a sign of failure and that and that and that happens a lot especially black women i'm speaking from a black woman's point of view there are so many times when we could be struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression but we look at it as like we're failing so we we go even harder when we should really take a break take a break and i mean i, I can get into this um so much but I can continue a bit about my story and how it led to my TED Talk. So when I came back to Toronto, the thought of, of coming back as a quote unquote loser spiraled that anxiety and, and spinned it into uh, depression as well. And now I went through two stages of depression. Um, there's a high function in depression or the smell in depression where, you know, I'm dressed to the T, my makeup is done, my, my hair is slayed to the gods and I'm just out partying and dancing and enjoying stuff with friends and being so a social butterfly because I was trying to mask the pain that I was feeling. So that's the one where you smile all the time, but you're, you're, you're masking all the pain 
that you're you're actually going through. And then there's the other one that we all know about, you know, the blinds are closed. I'm not picking up the phone. I'm not showering for days. I'm not brushing my teeth for days. I'm either eating myself silly or not eating at all, right? At all. So it, it I went through the different stages of that. And, and so the first stage was the one that we know about, the depression that we quote unquote know about. And the other was a smiling one because I was like, no one can really help me. And I know I need help, but I think it's all in my head. I think it's just me and no one else is going through this. This is just me. So I need to like, I need to smarten up. I, I need to shake it off and I need to move. And it's interesting because I was in a relationship at that time. I was in a long-term relationship at that, that time. I think I was in a nine-year, 10-year relationship at the time. And I didn't even feel safe to tell my boyfriend slash partner at the time. And the only, I didn't even feel safe telling my friends because there's this, this stigma of embarrassment and shame. So the only person I felt safe telling was my dad. And even when I went to my dad, my dad said to me, you know, just drink some tea, read your Bible and everything will be okay. I went to him three times and I was like, something is not right. These, these thoughts, the, these suicidal thoughts, these suicidal ideations that I'm living in. And, and it, and it is actually so suffocating because sometimes people don't understand why a person living with depression is so tired. And I'll tell you why we're tired is because we're fighting with our minds every single day, 24 seven. It is a huge battle. So that sucks your energy and you're so tired. And every day that you wake up, it's a battle that you've won, but it's a battle that you're starting again. And I don't think people understand, like just because it's not physical doesn't mean that you're not ill. And so um, the, the third thing my dad said to me, first he said, um, drink some tea and read your Bible. The second he said, drink some tea, read your Bible and pray. And then the third he said, since you like to talk so much, how about you tell your business to strangers? Now, his way of telling me that was a way of like, I don't want you going around telling people these things because then now that's an embarrassment to me. Now I look like I failed as a parent. Has nothing to do with me and my feelings, but his and, and what is going to be projected and what's it going to look like for him. So it was one of the most ignorant things he said to me, but it was the one thing that he said that actually saved my life. And it was and it was through talking to a stranger in a park on a park bench that I started to feel better. So I used to wear sunglasses all the time because I'll cry so much and I and I will be taking the TTC and I'll be sitting on the train, on the bus, streetcar, whatever it is. And I'm just in tears all the time. And I you know, you don't want anyone looking at you or asking you questions. So you keep your sunglasses on. But one day I went to the park and I was just crying and. Um, a lady came over to me and she asked, what's wrong? That's it. She just asked me a question and I couldn't hold it in any longer. And I didn't care about um, anyone knowing. And, and let me say something first. I want to say something. Here's the beauty about strangers, because there is some beauty about strangers. Is in that sense, she didn't know me. She didn't know my name. She didn't know anything about me. She didn't know my dad's name. So I could say anything and tell her anything and felt safe in that instance because I didn't feel like my secrets were going to float back and everyone's going to know my business, right? Because that's that's the that's the biggest stigma within the Black community is that shame and that secrecy that we keep because we're scared and we don't want anyone else to know. And God forbid anybody knows and then your whole world falls apart, right? Or you're mocked, but um, or you're shamed for it. 
But anyways, she asked me what's wrong. And she gave me a space, Simon, that created, she created a space for me to just say everything. Like I let out everything. She didn't question me. She didn't jump in. She didn't chime and say, you should do this. She just let me talk. And that's all I really needed was someone to, to create a space for me that was free of judgment. Not to say to me, you know what? You are feeling this way, but think about you've got a roof over your head. You've got food on your table. You're blessed. I understand these things when you're, when you're mentally ill, you understand these things, you know, these things, but sometimes it's okay for me to say what I'm going through without, without that judgment or without that, but just, just to listen to me talk. And, and I think once I, I, I unload that huge load that I was carrying for so many months, so almost a year, I felt so bad, so much better. And so I continuously use strangers as my therapy, um, as my therapist on therapy for me before I actually got professional help. And this led to my TED talk, which led to my TED talk led into me creating an event. I created this event um, called The Mystic Effect. It's a fashion show, fashion and art show. And I wanted to create a show where um, I was going to use people that were the underdogs, people that were new to acting, singing, modeling, all of these things. I wasn't going to use anybody famous in Toronto. I just wanted to create a platform where upcoming artists can see themselves in a space and give them that stage to really shine. A bunch of people said, hey, Stacey Ann, this is not going to work. You need somebody big to sell your ticket. And I'm saying, no, nah, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to listen to this voice of mine and I'm, and I'm going to create this event. But what I started sharing recently, because I haven't shared this, uh, I think in, since I, I started sharing this in the last year or so, that when I created my first event, I created this event as a way to go out. Like I, I created this event, I was gonna do this event and then I was gonna go home and I was gonna take my life because I, I just felt like I needed to create something. Wow. I didn't wanna leave this earth without leaving a small imprint. And so I wanted to create something that people would remember me by, but also something that I, I could do for folks. I could create a stage or create a platform. It was my own money, my own funding. I never got any funding or grants. I used my own everything, my own resources to just create this platform. And every single person that came to that event and stood up and gave me a standing ovation and said, you, Stacey, and you got to do this again. This event was so amazing. We've never seen anything like this. You got to do it again. They saved my life. Because it was that encouragement, because I was still trying to find my purpose in this world. You know, um, Jamaicans have this thing where we like to call people worthless or we feel like or sometimes we call ourselves worthless if we don't have if we don't push ourselves to a certain stage of what success is. And, you know, we tend to think that success and a lot of society tends to think that too. success is the house and the cars and the marriage and the money and the bank and the bitcoins and all of that crap. It really isn't. Success is really having peace. And I don't think people know how important having peace of mind really, really is. And, and, and so I was down on myself, calling myself worthless because I didn't have the career. I knew I had other little things going on that could amount to success, but I didn't have a solid career or something that I could feel proud of or something I was doing that I was passionate about. 
But from that, from that um, event, it then led into me creating a production company for the next year when I was going to launch the event again. And then from the production company, I said, okay, I want to write a book because I, I want to write a book on my story with mental health because um, I'm shining right now. And people, people always see your, your glitz and your glam and, and what's going on, but they never know the root of it and the blood and sweat and tears it takes into being an overnight success, which is actually 10 years of grinding and really working out. And I, and I wanted to share my story of mental illness. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to do a book. I'm going to do a documentary and I'm not going to make it just about me because there has to be more people, more people in the black community. This has, it cannot be just me. And so I started doing the resources and I found folks that were brave and bold to come on camera and talk about mental illness. Cause again, we're talking about the black community and we're talking about a documentary. I, I did the documentary called the blind stigma. We're talking about the first documentary done in Canada on mental illness in the black that, community. That's, that, that's incredible. You, you, you basically made success your own, your own way. And you, you work so hard and it's, it's so incredible to see everything that you've managed to accomplish. I was kind of a little bit on uh, the verge of a few tears, just like uh, listening to your story and all the hardship. And I can, I can definitely relate with some of the uh, intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. and it, it, it's just incredible hearing how you managed to, you know, uh, find what uh, what a meaningful success means to you rather than kind of going with all of these expectations that you've been trying to live up to. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you speechless. I, I, I and I think, I think that's the that's the thing too. Um, when when it comes to mental illness, and and you see somebody that has probably gone through it, but is still going through it and still battling, and and it they think it's probably just easy sometimes. I'm not yeah. saying that you do, but you know we're coming from the same village in a sense that we've struggled with mental illness, and I still do. I still struggle with anxiety. I, yeah. I, I know how to maintain it. I know when my, I know my triggers and I know when it's coming on and I know when I need to leave an environment or I need to close a conversation or end a conversation. I know what triggers my anxiety. And so I, I know how to maintain it to the best of my ability. Um, but it's, it, it is still a struggle, you know, yeah. and, and, um, Yeah. It, it is still a struggle, but it's, it's, I don't say it's something I suffer from. I, you know, you, when it comes to mental health too, and being an advocate and coaching the game, you, you have to know how important words are mm -hmm. because words carry so much weight and, and carry so much power over us, especially, like I said, somebody that's struggling with mental illness. So changing your words from suffering to struggling sounds a little bit better and then puts a little bit more ease on you, you know? But yeah. yeah, yeah, I try to be open with all my friends and people that I meet about my mental health, about any of the things I've tried, because a lot of people, they don't want to say that they're, you know, taking medication because there's still stigma associated with it. Like one time I was talking with a group of friends and I told them that 
yeah, I started on this antidepressant. And one of my friends took me aside later on. He was like, dude, I'm taking the same thing. And we kind of like, you know, bonded over it. Uh, and it's it, it's so incredible just to have someone that's opening up because there's so many people that feel the same way that can, you know, see themselves in you from your community that can see you as a role model, as someone who can kind of, you know, live and thrive with this. Yes, I love that word thrive, Simon, I do. I, I really do. And you know, what's interesting thing is when I was putting together this documentary, there were so many people that reached out to me from different walks of life, different walks of community that says, hey, it's a stigma in my community too. It's a stigma in the Italian community. It's a stigma in the Chinese community. It's a stigma. It's a stigma everywhere in every community. And that's the thing about mental illness. It, it doesn't discriminate. <laughs> you know, it affects yeah. everyone. You could be wealthy. You could be poor. You could be a man. You could be a woman. You could be black. You could be white. You could be Asian. It affects everyone. It does not discriminate at all. And so when I was putting together this documentary, um, it took me a year of research to gather everything. And then we filmed the whole thing in seven days because we, I, we had gathered everything and I created a team. So I made sure I had someone on board that was a support worker, um, someone that that worked in the mental health field so that if anyone is sharing their story and they're getting trigger moments, she was there to, to help them navigate it. I used her help as well because when I was going through my story, I had to tell my story. I was telling it over, I was really glossing over my story. And she said, no, really try and go back and remember the moment. So I even forgot the moments of, 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 of like not brushing my teeth and not eating mm -hmm. for days. I forgot all those moments. And she helped guide me back into those moments so that I can tell a more authentic, the more authentic version of my story, but still felt safe in my own documentary. And that's what I wanted. I wanted my guests who were coming on board to definitely feel safe. And when we premiered this documentary, we premiered it in um, 2015, February 2015 and 7, February 7, 2015. And it was a lot of snow on the ground. It was like, it's winter, it's in Toronto. So we had a snowstorm and I thought for sure no one's going to come out. And the theater was so packed. We had people waiting on the outside. Like it was something that the community and, and, and not just the black community, but it was something that people really needed to see because I think sometimes when people think about mental illness, for instance, Simon, I think they, they tend to think it's people that are homeless or haggard on the road or, and they don't know that they look just like me and you. There are people that are struggling, that are, that are struggling with mental illness, that have the dream career that people want. There, there's, there's so much to it. And, yeah. and I, and I think with this documentary, people kind of like, they saw themselves. And that was the most important thing was for people to see themselves in mm -hmm. in this documentary and that's why I didn't want it to just make it about me I wanted to have different stories and I also had a perspective from a a black psychologist in Toronto and a pastor as well because there's so many th times that we talk about mental illness in the black community um the church is heavily weighed so it, it's like is it mental illness or are you being possessed so I wanted to create that space where people can hear both ends of the spectrums you know mm -hmm. and um so yeah, and so that documentary led me to my TED Talk and my TED Talk has led me to many spaces, including this one. So oh. yeah. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. What do you think has changed since 2015 in terms of mental health awareness for the good or for the bad? Oh, it's for the good. I feel like I, I think more conversations are, are happening. Don't you see, Simon, there's more openness to it. People are talking about it a lot more than they did before. A lot. There's there's there, there are people that are that are coming out and sharing their experiences. The shame and the secrecy that clouded mental illness for a long time has been has has been lifted. Hasn't lifted fully yet. But it has been lifted. There's been government programs. There's been so many initiatives that were born out of the pandemic in 2020 based on mental illness because people were heavily yeah. affected. So I had friends that said, I never knew I had anxiety until the pandemic hit. I was like, actually, you probably did have anxiety, but you have the high function in anxiety, the one that is so highly ambitious. It doesn't let you sit at home. You always have to be working on a project. You always have to be doing this. You always have to be going out. You always have to be the social butterfly. You always have to be doing things because you cannot sit still. And that's what and that's and that's what the high function and anxiety does. And that's something that I do struggle with until the pandemic hit. I had to be like, I can't go anywhere. What yeah. am I going to do? So I, I had to perform. <laughs> I had to sit with myself in the bathroom and talk with myself and be like cognitive behavioral therapy and be like, listen, we can't go anywhere right now during the lockdown. So this 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 high energy that you have and, and you know, the heart palpitations that are happening because you need to get out and you need to do things. We both need to work with this. And and it's interesting because I did an interview for CBC and they were talking about they're asking how I coped with the pandemic. And I told them, you know, I how I had to, like, sit down and talk to my anxiety and named my anxiety. Simon, I had to. I'm like, her name is Michelle. I'm like, I had to put a name because I was just like, I started talking with myself and having healthy dialogues. So that is the thing. People are like, no, you talk to yourself, you're crazy. Actually, no, that's very healthy, but create healthy conversations with yourself. And it's through that, it's through naming my anxiety that actually got me through the pandemic a lot. And I told this to the producer of CBC and of the, of the segment I was doing. And she she reached out to me a couple, uh, like a week later and said her son struggles with mental illness. Her, I think he's like 12 years, 12 years old at the time. And she told him what I said, an idea to name his anxiety. And she's like, Stacey, it has worked so much. I was wow. like, yeah, because people think you talk to yourself and you're quote unquote crazy. I don't even like that word crazy. I don't, I try to remove it from my vocabulary as much as I can, but I can use it in a context like this, but People think that way, but it's it's actually very healthy. The, the key is yeah. to create positive conversations with yourself. Who do you spend the most time with in the entire world? Is yourself, is your mind. So you're gonna have you're gonna have conversations where you're not gentle with yourself. You're gonna let the the, the you're gonna have the inner critic come in and tell you all of these things. I mean, sure, it's a battle. It's a battle between the inner critic and the inner coach, but you you have to, you have to start your day off or in the middle of your day, towards the end of your day, create healthy conversations with yourself. Honestly, it's it's something that I've started doing and it has helped. It has helped. So <laughs> I yeah. wanted to say that. Sometimes our inner voice can be like the toughest person to deal with. Oh like I remember in grad school, some people were like afraid of giving presentations or getting questions asked by, you know, other scientists, and supervisors and I was really happy because I'm like 
There's nothing they can say that's going to be meaner than anything I've said to myself in the past. Yes. Like, half jokingly, but like, seriously, what, what could they say? Right. It's true. I, yeah, I, we are like our biggest critic. Like, we can be so hard on ourselves, ridiculously hard on ourselves to the point where it's just like, this is a form of self-abuse to myself. Like, come yeah. on, like, you know, this is, this is not, this is not cool. Like some of the things that we, some of the conversations that we have or some of the conversations that we, or the words that we let seep into our brain that we say to ourselves and we look in the mirror when we walk out the door and we're doing all of these things. And so it's, it's very important to, to create a, um, to cultivate a nurturing, mm -hmm. a nurturing. Cause I mean, positive is subjective too, right? The word positive, like it can mean go, it can mean any different thing, but yeah. I like the term nurturing. I just, a, just, a, just a great nurturing conversation with mm -hmm. yourself because who's better to nurture you than you, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, something that I've also kind of learned to do is just think of my thoughts like water flowing through a river. I don't control them. Sometimes the thoughts aren't going to be great. I can acknowledge that they exist, but I don't have to interact with them. They can I love that. Good. I love that. See, I learned something new. See, I love that. I really do. I really do. Yeah, it, it's just always about finding the ways that can help you cope. I remember reading about this guy who's, who had this app that basically he turned his, uh, uh, his anxiety into like a thing that would email him all the time and be really mean and annoying to him. So he could kind of learn to like tune it out. Ah. Oh. I love that. I, I remember last year I battled so hard with, um, what is that? Imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. It, it is. Is it the worst thing? It is just absolutely awful, horrible. And I decided, like, it started in 2022. It started in 2020. And it's just been a long battle. Like, there's, there's so many things that I, I really wanted to do. One of them is really... To, to come out with my book like you know and and I started writing it in 2020 and just the imposter syndrome just keeps clouding my mind keeps it will go away and then come back and I remember last year I said okay you know what I'm gonna do I am going to every time I think a negative thought of myself when I know the imposter syndrome coming I'm gonna pay myself and um towards the end of the year I think I accumulate about twelve hundred dollars based on all the negative thoughts that have accumulated and I was like I can't ride this wave anymore I really have to get off of this train rather because this this is going to be a wreck and I and I and I can't afford to do this um but it's not easy um because I'm still learning ways to navigate through imposter syndrome mm -hmm. but I I know sitting with it and letting it foster is one of the worst things that I could do for myself so whether it's like playing some music or going on YouTube and watching cats dance, cats oh, doing yes. mischievous things, whatever to make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's you know watching Disney movies to put my mind at ease because I, I don't know. I'm Disney movies have always been an inspiration to me. Like mm. I, there's something about it that brings me so much peace and so much joy. So I have to tap back into 
a little bit into my inner child and, and tap back into, into joy and, and try to find the things um, that bring me joy, just the simplest things that bring me joy. And, and that kind of brushes, it sweeps away the, mm -hmm. the imposter syndrome. Yeah, and if it also helps, people with imposter syndrome are almost always qualified because usually when someone thinks that they're good at something, when they're not actually good at it, that's a whole other psychological phenomenon. It's actually mm -hmm. people that theorize that people get, you know, that incompetent people end up getting promotions because they're very confident and they yes. think they're really good at what they do when they really aren't. And meanwhile, the people that aren't confident, the people that aren't given the chances, they actually know what they're doing. And mm -hmm. they're just looking at this, you know, unrealistic depiction of what it means to be, you know, absolutely confident and sure of themselves. Absolutely. It's, that is so true. That is so, so true yeah <laughs> yeah uh and is there is there anything else you'd like to share with your audience anything else you're working on or anywhere where we can find your work um yeah you can find my work on my my website uh, stacymbuchanan.com on social media i'm on stacymbuchanan so it's easy to find me there's there's no e in the stacy and um, you can put a hyphen between the, the Stacy and the Anne, and it'll be easier to find me too. Um, right now I'm, I'm working on, on creating a book. That's what I'm working on. I just actually spoke with um, the editor publishing team yesterday and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing this. The same company I spoke with uh, two years ago, I said, mm -hmm. I'm almost finished. Now I just gotta structure everything and 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 put this out there. I also want to create um courses. I think it's so important um to help people because I do so much on my social media, especially on my Instagram, where I'll do like a mindful Monday or I'll share mental health tips 101. You can check the highlights on my stories. Okay, they go back good. till forever. And I and I feel like I haven't been doing enough of that, but I'm also very um mindful of my own personal time and going at a pace yeah. that doesn't make me feel overworked or make me feel like I'm 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 keeping up with a hustle culture because there's no way I'm doing a hustle culture anymore. I've I used to subscribe to it, but I'm now subscribed to the alignment culture where you do things based on the alignment of your purpose and what mm -hmm. you want to do. You don't just say yes to everything because everything is a hustle and you got to take this uh, money. You got to take this because not all money are good money. Okay. I will tell you this right now. Oh, There's yeah. money that come with a lot of stress and I refuse to take anything that makes me cannot sleep at night, does not bring me peace. This brings me a lot of stress just because it's money that does not align with my purpose anymore. And I refuse to do that. I, I really, I'm really cultivating a soft black girl life in a mm -hmm. sense where I know black women, we, we take so many stresses and, and we, and we, we, we add everyone's and we take everyone's and, and we got to be the, the, the neck of the household or whatever it is. And we got to carry so much burden and, and we never ask for help. So I, if anybody's listening to this um, and, and you're a black woman, just know that, 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 that a form of strength is asking for help. And, and, and that, it, because strength is also not 
um, not carrying this heavy load. It's putting it down. That is also a form of strength because you know what? I'm saying I cannot carry this anymore. And the whole strong black woman syndrome too, it is such a, it's such an assault on our black, on our, on our mental health, because we feel like we got to go through life and we got to be so strong and we got to help everyone. And we got to do this when it's like, who's helping us, who's saving us when it's okay to take a rest and it's okay to take a rest that is guilt free. It's a require, it's a requirement of your soul. You need to take rest. You need to take break. You know, you don't, there's no need for you to constantly feel like you you just have to hustle or keep up with this hustle grind mm -hmm. and and i also say your social media and who you follow is very important okay because what you feed your mind on these social media feeds actually feeds you and so if there's if you're following a page that doesn't bring you joy or makes you anxious because you have to keep up you have to keep up you feel like oh my God, I didn't get my finances in order. I didn't get my, my, my stuffing in order. My furniture doesn't look good. I need to keep up with the Joneses. Like that is, that is so incredibly hard on yourself. I used to be like that. I used to be like, you know, 3 a.m. I'm up working on my goals. Or if you're not up by 5 a.m., you gotta get up at 5 a.m. You gotta, early bird gets the worm or early, yeah, early bird gets the worm, all of this nonsense. It's all mm. noise. It is all noise that doesn't feed your soul and doesn't nurture your soul. And so you have to define for yourself what success is. And, and I'm talking to everyone now in general. You don't need to be if if your mental illness is 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 stirred or is um if this is if it's ignited by what success is or what you feel like you need to accomplish, you just know that success the definition is on your term. It is so subjective and it doesn't matter what society says or what the world says or what you feel like you should have at a certain age. Just know that it is on your term. And the biggest goal for your success is a peace of mind. Mm -hmm. It's I, I would I used to say it's happiness, but but I mean a person can't go around being happy all the time, Simon. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. There's there's something that, no, because a bit of a bit of the opposite of happiness or a bit of little struggles here and there. It actually builds character and it grows you. Right. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the ability and the knowledge to know that whenever struggles come your way, you're not going to let it overcome you. Mm -hmm. It's equipped in yourself with the, with the right tools. Um, and that's why I say everyone should have a mental health toolbox and you should pull out from your toolbox. It's not, it's not a physical toolbox, but it's something that you can go to Whenever a struggle arises or something arises and, and, it, and it threatens your mental health, you know what tool to pull out to fix it. So if, if watching um, YouTube videos about cats is good, that's good. If it's taking a day off, then that is good. If it's just going to a comedy show, going for a walk, if it's just drinking water, going to work out, whatever you know that's going to help you fix or help um, mediate whatever you're going through, then reach into your mental health toolbox and take out the tools that are necessary for you. One thing I added in the last few years was a talking to myself concept and, and creating a name for my anxiety. Cause I'm like, you know what? This is something that has been able to help me. So um, I think I was going through the sort of point of social media because I know for the longest while my, my life was ruled so much by that because I was, I had to keep up with the Joneses and I was one of the Joneses, Joneses urging people to keep up and urging people on this path where you need to, you know, get your goals accomplished. Like, what did you accomplish in the quarter set in the, in the first quarter? What did you do here? And all of that is subjective and all of that you can just throw out the window and go at your own pace. Yeah.
seriously, because when you align yourself with your future, with your purpose, things are going to come to you. You don't have to chase it mm-hmm. when you chase it. Oh my God. So, um, so like, it's very important for you. If, if one of the first things that you do as a person, um, whoever's listening to this, you check social media and the first thing in the morning, like just make sure the feed that is coming up feeds you and nurtures your soul. May, uh, may I suggest using, uh, there's a lot of channels that post, like a lot of Twitter accounts that post pictures of possums, cats, or raccoons automatically Ooh. every hour. So a lot, of, a lot of my Twitter feed is just random feeds of animals. Sometimes it's cats with jobs and you get those, <laughs> like, you know, uh, a cat with uh, a harness that says, security dog on it oh. uh, and uh, I yeah I I also had a housemate in Ireland she had a cat and the cat would hang out with me a lot and you know a, a good way to not be burnt out is to like think like a cat if you're tired sleep oh my god I love that it's true they cat- sleep all the time they eat they they'll get up and get stuff done and then they'll go back to rest and, and they're the they're, boss <laughs> if they're chasing something too much they're gonna get in a bit of trouble you know yeah. so it's, it's very comparable i like to think i i had a cat for eight years i i love my cat his name was bello and he was also my alarm clock because every morning he'll wake me up at the exact same time, meowing for his food. And it was, it was just it was just a joy. And I remember when I went to Vancouver, I left him back in Toronto. So I didn't see him for a very long time. And when I came back, he refused to talk to me. He will sit on the couch and turn his back. Just refuse. Even if I give him foodie, he's, he'll look in the corner, not look at me and then eat when I'm out of the room. And then after a while, he came around. <laughs> <laughs> because he just healed the grudge for a little long because he's yeah. like, how dare you leave me? How dare you leave me? But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you, to the cats, you're the pet. Exactly. Exactly. They're the boss of you. Like yeah. you are definitely their pet. I was actually thinking about getting another one. Yeah. Like, that, it's it's one of my bigger goals, you know, make enough money that I can support a nice family of cats. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true you have to support them and then like oh my cat had um the little tree that he'll call oh yeah and just like and just watch out the window and watch people just stop people and I just thought it was just so good and yeah just yeah well well thanks so much for coming on the podcast and chatting it's an absolute pleasure of course thank you so much for having me it was such a joy having this conversation so thank you and of course a disclaimer this podcast in all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy please seek professional help if needed go to www.resolve with two vs.ca to get the support you need And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www.resolve.ca.
that's resolved with two vs.ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>